Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everyone. It's Mary. And before we start the show, I just want to acknowledge things are so weird right now. I'm recording this in a closet and I'm going to send the audio to a producer who is in Georgia. Everyone at Slate is working from home right now. We're trying to minimize the spread of this coronavirus. If the show sounds a little different in the next couple of weeks, that is why. But I've got a feeling that some of you, probably a lot of you, are finding ways to meet this moment. You're looking out for each other in funny ways. You're finding little incentives to get your kids to do the right thing, like wash their hands. One parent I saw decided to start each day by drawing little hearts on each family member's hand in Sharpie. Whoever scrubbed the Sharpie off by day's end got a prize. So I'm hoping you can help me out. Let me know about what you're up to. Tell me how you are helping other people, helping people in your family, just keeping healthy, getting by, even keeping each other's spirits up. You can do it a couple ways. You can call and leave a voicemail. Our number is 202-888-2588. You can also just tweet at me. I'm at Mary's desk. I'll share your best ideas as much as I can, because I think we all need them right now. All right, here's the show. And just a quick warning, there is a little bit of cursing from the ER doctor I talked to, but he is dealing with a lot right now. Okay, here we go. Okay, I'm testing one, two, three, four, five. Jeremy Faust is a full-time doctor and a part-time podcaster. I'm glad I checked. What's going on with this thing? He works up at the emergency department at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. I dialed him up Sunday night around 5. He'd just clocked out. I got delayed because my fucking headphones are, like, tied up in my N95 mask, and I can't afford to, like, do what I would normally do and just, like, cut it apart. So I'm, like, untangling my headphones so that I don't die later. Hold it. Are are you having to reuse your N95 masks? Oh, yeah. That's happening nationally. At Jeremy's hospital, they'd just built a tent out front to screen incoming patients. And they're waiting for the people they know are coming, the ones with COVID-19. Yeah, life in the ER is professional. Everyone there is absolutely ready for mayhem. And there's not mayhem. There's just weirdness. What's your schedule like now? Oh. There was a period where between Wednesday and Saturday, I slept five hours total. Whoa. And it wasn't because necessarily I was working clinically. Some of that was clinical. I did work an overnight shift. But unlike every other overnight shift where I usually come home and just have like a little bite to eat and to see my family, I could not stop thinking and working and trying to think, what's the next thing that I can do to help move things forward? What's, what is happening and what is not happening? And how can I be useful. The main thing Jeremy's trying to figure out is how to test people, who to test, when to test them, and what that information means. So it's this balancing act of 
what I think is the best thing for everyone, which is for everybody to get tested, at the same time, realizing that we're rationing. We're, here we are, rationing, and having to decide who gets a test and who doesn't, who is high risk and who's low risk. How many tests were you able to order today? I couldn't quantify that. But what I can say is I'm seeing things that I've never had to confront before. Seeing things we've never had to confront before. That's what everyone's doing. Governors, mayors, and doctors like Jeremy. Today on the show, Jeremy's going to explain what this thinking on the fly looks like in the ER and what being in the ER has taught him about all the bigger decisions that are happening right now. Decisions about shutting down schools. Decisions about disrupting your life. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So in your ER right now, if I show up and I'm coughing and I have a fever, like what happens? It depends on your risk factors. You certainly are considered for testing. So I wouldn't say that you wouldn't be tested. Fever, I think, is being taken very seriously. The tricky part is patients who don't have a fever. That's really where it gets hard. Why? Because we don't know how many of these patients are running around the community with no symptoms or mild symptoms. There are patients in China that we have heard about. There's case reports. This is the beautiful thing about the medical literature is we're learning about this every day and there's, there's progress. But we know of case reports coming out of China where somebody was tested for coronavirus because they were a known exposure. And they said, oh, I don't, I don't have any symptoms. You don't have to test me. And they said, oh, no, we'll test you. That's what I imagine happened. And that person tested positive. And we know that that person never got any symptoms and they were covered and they now test negative for coronavirus. But we also know that that person transmitted it to five people. And that's both scary because it says, oh my goodness, we have so many people who can spread this thing, so many vectors. But it's also a little reassuring because it's like, oh, people get it and they don't even know about it. And they might not even be participating in the statistics that tell us how dangerous this thing is in terms of fatality rate. I mean, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you was because I feel like you're riding this line. You wrote an article for Slate where you said, basically, coronavirus isn't as deadly as you think it is. But then at the same time, you're advocating for everyone to be tested. Can you square those two things for me? Because I think some people would think those were in conflict. Totally great question. So the headline was, coronavirus is not as deadly as we think. And I was specifically referring to statistics that the WHO have saying that the case fatality rate was 3.4%, 3.6%, something like that. And I stand by that. I don't think it's that deadly by far. I think it probably is that deadly for a certain subpopulation of people. If you look at patients who acquire coronavirus 
while already hospitalized. They're sick enough to have already been hospitalized and then they get it from someone else in the hospital. The fatality rate could be high. It could be that high. But what I was trying to get at was for people who aren't even hospitalized or aren't even tested, it's far, far less fatal. And so the numbers are coming down the more people we test. So my approach to let's test everybody is actually a way to measure a lower fatality rate. And I think that has a really good effect. Measuring a lower fatality rate, first of all, it's more accurate. So accuracy is good. Second, it ramps down the fear. And third, it makes it so people who have the virus but don't have any symptoms or their symptoms are too mild that they shrug them off, it says, you have the virus, please don't go visit your sick, immune-compromised grandmother. And so what I was writing in Slate was that, yes, the numbers that we're seeing from around the world are a reflection of the fact that they mostly conducted tests on the very, very sick, and very few places have had much larger nets and trying to test people in the community. And South Korea is a place that has done that. They had hundreds of thousands of tests, far more than we've been able to do. And so what they found was more cases than anybody expected. They had the courage to detect a higher number of cases, but in exchange they got something else, which is, oh, most people don't die from this actually. It's interesting because, I mean, we're speaking on Sunday evening, and I live in New York City, where the governor and the mayor are talking about these really stringent steps to control spread of this coronavirus. But what I hear you saying is, if we had the tests, we might we might not be resorting to as stringent steps, or we might be able to sort of target those steps a little bit better because we'd know more what we were dealing with. Yes, this is called tracing. And I think that one of the reasons we are so panicked as a society right now is that we don't know what the hell is going on. And this totally matches my experience as an ER doctor. I give good news, good news, you've got nothing. Congratulations, you can go home. Patients usually say, oh, that's wonderful. Sometimes they say, well, wait a minute, why do I have that symptom? But mostly they're happy. And then there's the other part that I think everyone knows that we do, which is to break bad news. Whether it's death or a very dangerous diagnosis or a concerning diagnosis. And what I've noticed is a lot of times patients are a little bit relieved to hear the diagnosis. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it kind of like, like yeah, I kind of knew something was up. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. Like, what's next? But what I really see that I think it surprises most people, it's not bad news that they recoil from, it's uncertainty. And if I tell them, I don't know, that is untenable for people. They just cannot deal with that because then they imagine the worst and they just can do computations in their brain and depending on their personality, they can just sort of react in many different ways. And what's happening now in society is we don't know what's going on in terms of where the virus is and how many have it and how many are going to be affected by it seriously. And so we're in that sort of uncertainty phase. The most important thing we can do is to remove that uncertainty by testing everyone and knowing where it is. And then we can say, look, it's not here, it is there, and here's what you do, and here's the fatality rate we think it is. But right now, the, it's, it's the panic of the unknown. I'm seeing this thing here locally, this bifurcation, where people with a lot of money and time can have a very different experience of this disease than people who don't have that. And I guess that's the story that happens every time, right? But I wonder if you think about that, because you're in the ER 
which is like the ultimate place where if something's going wrong, it's going to land on your doorstep. Well, emergency departments are also the place where we see social determinants of health and healthcare disparities play out every day. So what you're saying makes total sense. This is why I think that a one-size-fits-all blanket approach to social distancing is not only a bad idea in some cases, it could be harmful. It's a great idea in some areas. I think that's good. But I felt like no one's really doing the analysis. And the problem is there are certain situations, like in certain neighborhoods, socioeconomics and all this, where closing a school could cause deaths because their parents are still going to work and the kids are going to be watched by grandma. Or the, and, and if you think you can quarantine children, not only does that not pass the whiff test, we know from past epidemics that people, children in particular, do not follow lockdown instructions. I, I, I saw tweets today from other physicians saying, oh my gosh, like school is closed and the kids are out playing basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And so closing school does not necessarily count as effective social distancing in all cases. It counts as social distancing, but it could backfire. Over the past few days, state leaders have made tough calls to close schools and restaurants and public events. While Jeremy and I were speaking, New York City's mayor was holding a press conference to announce that he was shutting down the largest school system in the country for a month. People had been waiting for guidance like this here in New York. I can tell you that. And while we waited, we watched each other on the streets, online. I saw pictures of people at restaurants and I thought, should you really be doing that? I think that there is a narrative that sort of is judgy against people who aren't doing enough as if, oh, you're sort of virtue signaling by saying, I want more closures. Like the more you are, the more you're asking for closing, the better a person you are. But they actually haven't analyzed where that line crosses in certain situations. But doesn't it make us safer to close more things down and just keep to ourselves for a little while? That's true if you can really actually accomplish that, but we know that that doesn't happen. We know that kids go out. We know that people have to leave the house. I'll give you an example of this just historically. San Francisco, 100 years ago, was one of the most draconian cities in the country in terms of what they did in terms of social distancing and shutting the city down in order to prevent the spread of the 1918-19 influenza. But San Francisco ended up actually having one of the worst excess case fatality rates of any large city in the world. It's funny you bring that up because, of course, over the last couple of weeks, I've heard so much about St. Louis, how St. Louis shut everything down during the 1918 flu and how it did so much better than, I think it was Philadelphia, which didn't. Right. Well, this is a thing we see in medicine all the time. In retrospect, we, we add narrative to these facts so we had a narrative, oh, St. Louis did it this way, and that's why this happened. We can't know that. And San Francisco did it this way, the same way, and it had the opposite effect. So no one can explain to me why those two things are different. I was kind of flabbergasted that in the New York Times, there was an article basically making the point you're making, which is, look, the sooner you, the sooner you close schools, the better. The more social distancing you do, the better, because some cities had better out- outcomes. But on that guy's same website, an academic website, which is very, very well curated, there's a long article about San Francisco and how screwed up that situation was. So it's like we're cherry picking. So I'm sure that a lot of these things are good, but I am very worried and I've seen data both in the the present and in the past that there are areas where it can backfire. 
And so think about it figure out what makes sense in your area. And maybe the pendulum is going to swing towards more social distancing now than I was hoping for. But uh, in some areas it might not. And let's get the pendulum kind of swinging and figure out where it really needs to land. Dr. Faust, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I love Slate. I feel like I'm part of the community. Part so of the hope family. To do you proud. Hope to do you proud. Jeremy Faust is an emergency medicine physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital up in Boston. He's an instructor at Harvard Medical School, too, and he contributes to Slate. That's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. Quick reminder here to call us and tell us how you are getting through this very strange time. Our number is 202-888-2588. That's 202-888-2588. Or you can just tweet at me. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'm Mary Harris. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.